Aren't you glad the Lord will hold you fast? We're going to look at some of that this morning. Open your Bibles to Psalm 119 and verse 41. So get Psalm 119 and get 2 Timothy 2. Psalm 119 and 2 Timothy chapter 2. We had such a great time on our vacation. Of course, it began with Lydia and Josh's wedding. It's good to see them here. And it's good to see Mr. and Mrs. Noah joins here. That's wonderful. And uh, we've, it's funny, we went so long without any weddings, then we've had a bunch of them all in a row. And so far, they're all making it. <laughs> Kevin's getting tired of Jenny. But other than that, it's, <laughs> he went like this. He said, no, don't get me in trouble. It's been great. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive into the Scriptures. Lord, we love your Word. And that's what this series is all about. And, Lord, we we do have knowledge of your Word here, uh, but we want to grow in our love for it. So, Lord, I pray that that happens today. In Jesus' name, amen. title of my message today is, I Will Walk at Liberty, and it's from the text. So look at Psalm 119, look at verse 41. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. And I will meditate in thy statutes. So if you look at the, the in verse 1, you have the word. Verse 2, the word. Verse 3, the word. And also judgments. In verse 44, you have, com- uh, you have the law. In verse 45, you have precepts. In verse 46, you have testimonies. Verse 47, you have commandments. In verse 48, you have commandments and statutes. So those 10 words that are all through Psalm 119, and we're learning what those words mean, that they're not just synonyms for the Bible. They give us different aspects of it. So, of course, we know what the word is, but in verse 3, we have the judgments. What are the judgments? Those are the declarations that God has made, where the judge, the the ultimate judge, has declared things to be right and wrong. And so we learn his judgments about behaviors, about attitudes, about ideas, and we meditate, we live in those. And then in verse 44, that's the law. Now, how many of you are glad that you don't have to live in the law? Praise God, David did. Then look at what it says in verse 45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Remember what precepts are. Precepts are biblical truths that we have learned that we are to teach others. So we'll we'll see how that fits into that verse in a minute. What about testimonies? It says he's going to speak those testimonies before kings. Those are those things from the word of God that I have learned, that I have lived, And now I can declare to be true because I have experienced them personally. How many of you have experienced the forgiveness of God and what that does for you? So you can testify 
about that. There may be things in your life that a person would never forgive, but that the Lord Jesus Christ will. I can testify to that. Those are the, those are the testimonies. And then the commandments in verse 47. How many of you think you know what a commandment is? Those are things that God tells you to do that you're supposed to do. We're going to keep those. And then the statutes, the statutes. Those are the rules that God has established based on his word. Those are the things that we are to abide by. I'm going to be dealing with those last two verses primarily this evening. But this morning, I want us to start in verse 1. And look at verse 1. This is such an interesting thing. Oh, let me kind of give you my, let me give you my introduction. I'm out of practice, see? Let me give you my introduction here. This section, so for those of you who haven't been here for the beginning of this study, Psalm 119 is all about God's Word. It's divided up into 22 sections, 22 eight-verse sections, and they're all based on the Hebrew alphabet. So this section is based on the Hebrew word vow, vow, and that is, that's the sixth one, and the, the, the Hebrews would understand of like a hook that you'd hang something on, and that's, the, that's this section. But what this section deals with is the fear of God, the fear of God. And so what I want you to see, hold your place in Psalm 119, go to the Second Timothy 2 passage. A passage like the one that we're looking at in Psalm 119 can confuse Christians who don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. So look at what Psalm, or I'm sorry, what Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7 says. So Paul, writing to Timothy, says, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So in September, we're going to be beginning, we're going to be beginning our How to Study the Bible series. And this is one of the most important principles of Bible study. And it's the, it's the principle of context. So whose mail am I reading? Who is this written to? And if I'm not reading it in the right way, the, the, an illustration that we could give of it is Laura writes me a letter and says, I can't wait to see you. When I see you, I'm going to give you a big kiss. And Chad gets that letter and picks it up and reads it. How many of you think it's really important for him to understand who that's addressed to? Right? Because I think Beth can take him. <laughs> that would be a big problem. So the idea of whose mail am I reading? Who is this letter addressed to? It's really important for us to understand. So when David, and I believe that it was David, the Bible doesn't tell us who wrote Psalm 119. We believe it was David. When, when David is writing that, he's writing it as a Hebrew to Hebrews. We're not Hebrews. We're Christians. In the church, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We're one in Christ. We're Christians. And yet, when we go back to Psalm 119 and read it, we can get understanding for us through the eyes or through the words of the Apostle Paul. Let me give you an example. And this is the example I always use for this. So how many of you know John 3.16? All right, so let's say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A lot of people believe that's the best verse in the Bible on the gospel. The only problem is the gospel's not in that verse. What's the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in John 3.16? Well, kind of. 
if you're reading it through the writing of the Apostle Paul. See, what we hear or what we know when we read John 3.16 is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to be buried, and to rise from the dead on the third day, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. And whosoever believeth in that shall have everlasting life. You see, what we're doing is we're actually obeying what Paul told Timothy. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. It's so interesting. That's what John did. The Holy Spirit led the Apostle John to write the Gospel of John after the Apostle Paul had written Romans. So John had the understanding of Paul's writings, and, God, and the Holy Spirit used that to write the Gospel of John. That's why the Gospel of John reads so much differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Isn't that interesting? And so now what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Psalm 119. We're going to go through these passages, but we're going to study them as Christians, not as Jews. But I'm going to reference some of the things that David would have been thinking as he was writing it. And what a blessing it is for us to have the rest of the scriptures and to be living after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So go back to Psalm 119. Verse 41. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. I want us to learn a couple of things about this, this passage. The first thing about these mercies... Uh, now, I'm going to read a bunch from Spurgeon today. I told Laura this morning, I could stand up and read Spurgeon's book on Psalm 119 as my whole sermon. And it would be better than anything I'm going to say. So what I'm, I, I'm try, I'll try not to go too crazy with the Spurgeon stuff today. But I, I want to read you some of his comments. This is from, look at the, the, in verse 41 on the mercies. He says this, The way of grace appeared to be blocked. And therefore he begs that the mercies may have their way cleared by God. And may come to him. He who said, let there be light, can also say, let there be mercy. Isn't that good? How many of you are thankful for the mercy of God? You see, it's a very arrogant person that believes they do not need mercy. It's a very arrogant person that demands grace without understanding the need for mercy before grace can be applied. Because the simple fact is, all of us are sinners. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. What you get for sinning is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we need mercy before we can get grace. But it's not only mercy. Notice the way that the verse says it. Verse 41, let thy mercies come also to me. See, we have this idea that you have just one all-encompassing mercy. And yet we need so many varied mercies because of our so many varied sins and offenses to God. See, here's the thing. Men. Do we have any men in here? If you're a man, raise your hand. Okay? All right. Look at your wife. See if it's okay for you to raise your hand. All right. So how many of you men will admit to this? Your wife has been angry with you, and you have no idea why. Would you raise your hand? Any of you? All right. Look at the newlyweds. Ah, oh, one newlywed raised his hand. All right. All right. You remember the Rob Petrie, Rob and Laura Petrie? What's wrong, honey? If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Remember that? Oh, Rob. <laughs> so what's interesting about that is that's why the Bible tells men to dwell with their wives according to knowledge. 
you need to start to know your wife better, to know the things you're doing that are infuriating her. All right? What's so interesting about that, that's the perfect analogy for our relationship with God. You see, we need mercy for things we don't even know we've done wrong. That's how great God is. He gives us mercy for things that we've not even asked forgiveness for. Because we are so ignorant of God's ways that we don't know how we have violated Him. We don't know how we have offended Him. Aren't you glad that we have a merciful and gracious God? And that's the one that David is appealing to. Mercies, not mercy. The other thing that I want you to see, verse 41 again, let thy mercies come also where? Unto me. Unto me. Now, how many of you know that our nation needs God's mercy right now? Yeah, but that's not the request. The request isn't for the people around me. Oh, God, give Chad mercy. Oh, God. Oh, God. Give the McDermott boys mercy. They need it so bad. See, isn't that kind of a pharisaical way to pray? See, I'm the one that needs mercy. Because I'm the one that's violated God's law. I'm the one that's violated God's purposes. I'm the one that's violated God's truth. So what the text says is, Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord. Unto me. Not only that, but notice what it says again. Let whose mercies? Thy mercies. See, we need mercy that only comes from God. You see, the government can't forgive our sins. The government can't give us peace. The government can't give us eternal hope of heaven. The government cannot give us those things. Our spouse cannot give us those things. Our, our, our friends, our, our employers, the people around us, they cannot give us that. The mercy that we need is the mercy that only God can give. And there are many. They are varied. They're, they're, they're multiplied. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord. And then notice what it says. It says, even thy salvation, even thy salvation, according to thy word. So, according to thy word, it's interesting. So, so hold your place here, Psalm 119. Go with me to Matthew. Actually, it's John, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. All right, look at verse 44. And Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. So that's the Father. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. I don't know if any of you saw any of the uh, Democrat convention, but basically the premise was Republicans are dark and Democrats are light. How many of you saw that? So it's light to kill children? That's light? Uh, Abby Johnson at the uh, Republican convention 
Remember, she worked at a, an abortion clinic for eight years. Then she started learning more and more about what they were doing. And she saw an abortion and the baby in the womb running away from the suction. They knew. That baby knew something bad was happening. So you're not killing a lump. You're killing a child. That's not light. It doesn't matter what Joe Biden says. He doesn't know what he's saying anyway. Doesn't matter. It's evil. It's darkness. It's darkness. Woe to him that calls good evil and evil good. It's darkness. Darkness. Jesus Christ said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, look at this. I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So what the Bible says very clearly is that the judgment of God that comes at the end of the world on all of those who don't receive the word of God, that reject Jesus and reject his word, the judgment that comes is not Jesus Christ judging. The word of God is the judge. And isn't it good that we don't have to wait for someone else to say something? They've given us the rules. We know what to do. We know what not to do. We know what to expect. We know what not to expect because we have the word of God. We know that, but that's, that's the negative side of it. The positive side, look back at Psalm 119. Verse 41. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. See, so the word of God will either be your salvation or your judge. And here's the thing. You get to choose which of those it is. You don't get to choose for it to be something else. You can call it a fable if you want to. You're still going to be judged by it. You can call it anything you want to. You're still going to be judged by it. Or you can be saved by it. The Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Your mercy, the mercy that you can expect, is revealed for you in the word of God. Isn't that exciting? That we have it. We have it written down right here. And so the psalmist can say, let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. The same word that pronounces judgment can also provide mercies. Spurgeon said, the way of salvation is described in the word. Salvation itself is promised in the word. Its inward manifestation is wrought by the word. So that in all respects, the salvation which is in Christ Jesus is in accordance with God's word. You know, there are a lot of people that are offering salvation. There are some people that offer salvation through baptism. There are some people who offer salvation through communion. There are some people who offer salvation through good works. There are some people that offer salvation through money. 
that if you will give, if you'll sow a seed of faith, that, that God will save you through that money. None of that is true. Neither is there salvation in any name. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And that's what's interesting is Jesus is also called the Word. How, how many of you love him? Are you thankful? Are you thankful that he died on the cross for you to give you these many manifold mercies? And I hope you understand David didn't know anything about that. David didn't understand the forgiveness that we have, the rest that we have because our sins are forgiven. There's an old hymn, Lord, I hear of showers of blessing. Thou art scattering full and free. Showers the thirsty land refreshing. Let some droppings fall on me, even me. Amen? How many of you could really stand a good dose of the mercy of God today? Praise the Lord for that. Even thy salvation, even thy salvation, this is the sum and crown of all mercies, deliverance from all evil, both now and forever. I want you to notice something. Again, look at the verse, verse 1. I know you're thinking, Pastor, how are you going to get through those other five verses? We'll, we'll do it. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. But whose salvation is it? Thy salvation. Thy salvation. This is salvation that can only come from God. No human deliverance for time, but divine deliverance for all time and eternity. Listen to what Spurgeon said. What a mass of mercies are heaped together in the one salvation of our Lord Jesus it includes the mercy which spares us till our conversion and leads us to that conversion. Isn't that good? How many of you are thankful you were, you were able to live long enough to get saved? Yeah. Spurgeon wrote this. We have calling mercy, regenerating mercy, converting mercy, justifying mercy, pardoning mercy. Nor can we exclude from complete salvation any of those many mercies which conduct the believer safely to glory. Salvation is an aggregate of mercies, incalculable in number, priceless in value, incessant in application, eternal in endurance. To the God of our mercies be glory, world without end. Amen? Incalculable mercies. Praise God for that. Think of the joy we have in knowing that our salvation is secure. Remember 1 John chapter 5, and these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. David didn't know that. That's why he said, restore to me now the joy of my salvation. Lord, don't take your, don't take your hand off of me. I'm thankful that my salvation is forever. Wow. All right, so what we're looking at, each of these verses has a major theme. It has a major theme, and of course, the, the major themes of verse 1 are mercy and salvation. Look at verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. I trust in thy word. So there's two things here. There's an answer, and then there's trust. An answer and trust. When I have experienced God's mercies and salvation through his word, I have the ability to answer the reproacher. Now, notice what it says in verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And, and this could be general. I think it's specific. Remember the Bible talks about Satan in Revelation chapter 12, that accuser, he's cast out, that accuseth the brethren night and day. Because here's what happens. 
If you've lived at all, if you've had any life out in the world and then you get saved, or you got saved and went out into the world and came back to the Lord, you have things that you are embarrassed of. You have some things in your life that would bring you shame if other people knew about them. You might have things that other people know that bring you shame. And so what Satan does, the reproacher, is he brings those things up. When God wants you to do something to serve him, when God wants you to speak the truth to someone, when God wants you to help someone or live a holy life, that reproacher, he brings those things up in your mind. And here's the little thing that nags at the back of your mind. You can't serve God. I know what you did. I know who you are. That's the reproacher. That's the reproacher. But here's the problem. We have already received mercy and grace for those things. They're gone. The only place those things exist is in your own mind and in your own conscience. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that, that, and this is the life that David would have lived, that every year they would bring that sacrifice. And on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And only the high priest could go into the presence of God. And if he had any unconfessed sin in his life, he would die. (coughs) I shouldn't have taken advantage of the product out in Colorado. Laura and Jacob, we drove by one of those places and they both wanted to try it. Maybe it's because they were with me. I don't know. But the only place those things exist is in our conscience. In, in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> the Bible talks about how that high priest would bring that sacrifice once a year for the remembrance of sin. Once a year. But here's what the Bible says. It couldn't take, there was still a remembrance of sin. Because all that blood did was cover the sin. That's all it did. Until Jesus Christ came. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the whole world. You see, that blood of Jesus Christ does not cover my sin like the blood of bulls and goats. That blood of Jesus Christ, it washes my sin away. It's gone. It's gone. And we said it before, but I'll say it again. It says if you're going to God and, and you, you have confessed your sin, and then, then you hear, here it comes up in your mind again, and you go back to God. And he said, Lord, you remember that sin. And, and he would say, what sin? What are you talking about? It's gone because the Bible says he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. It's gone. It's gone. So when the reproacher comes up, what he is trying to do is to keep you from speaking. Look at what it says. Verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me. Why? For I trust in thy word. When the Bible says that you have forgiveness, you have forgiveness. But here's the problem. We don't trust that. We don't trust it. I have to do something to get rid of that. I've got to do penance. I have to do something. I'll never forget being at St. Peter's Basilica there in Rome just a day or two after the Pope's funeral. And people, I saw people lining up. I said, what are they lining up for? And someone said, "They're gonna. it's the sacrament of penance. So I went to the first person in line and I said, you don't have to do this. Jesus Christ paid your penalty for you. Just trust in him. Went to the next person. You don't have to do this. Jesus Christ paid your penalty for you. 
You don't have to do penance. Trust in Jesus. Went to the next person. Now, I don't know if any of them spoke English, but they heard it in English. How many of you are thankful you don't have to do penance? But you can answer the reproacher. As I answer, my trust grows. Spurgeon again. When God, by granting us salvation, gives to our prayers an answer of peace, we are ready at once to answer the objections of the infidel, the quibbles of the skeptical, the sneers of the contemptuous. It is most desirable that revilers should be answered. And hence, we may expect the Lord to save his people in order that a weapon may be put into their hands with which to rout his adversaries. When those who reproach us are also reproaching God, we may ask him to help us to silence them by sure proofs of his mercy and faithfulness. For I trust in his word. Look, you can be talking to somebody and they are accusing you or they are attacking God. I had a guy say to me once, if I die and there is a God, I'll spit in his face. No, you won't. And that's exactly what I said to him. You'll be begging for his mercy, but it'll be too late. Too late. You see, our trust grows as we testify to the grace and mercy of God and as he has blessed us. Look at the next verse, verse 43. So the, the, the key thoughts in verse 1, mercy and salvation. Verse 2, answering the reproachers by trust. Verse 43, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. I have hoped in thy judgments. It, it, it's so true. Hope springs from truth. Again, as I speak the truth, my heart grows in hope and expectation. you got to say it out loud. How many of you have ever actually talked yourself into something? Right? I had a coach in high school, and he'd start talking to us. And he would work himself up to a mad. <laughs> you know, the more he talked, what was his name? The, the, do you remember who I'm talking about, the coach at, at uh, Hartford Christian Academy? He'd just start talking. Next thing you know, he's spitting. You know, he's so mad, he's, he's spitting at us. It was hilarious. What God wants us to do is as we testify for him of his mercy, as we testify of his forgiveness, as we testify of his power in answering the reproachers, what happens is our hope grows, our faith grows, our trust grows. Have you ever gotten done testifying for the Lord? And you just feel good. You say, I did it. I took my stand. Have you ever not taken a stand and you walk away and said, I should have said, I should have said, I should have said. Hope. Hope. The reason so many Christians are discouraged, oh, look, look, look at verse 43 again, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. The reason so many Christians are discouraged, I mentioned this in Sunday school, is because they're expecting God to do something he never promised to do. Whether it's heal you, or heal your land, you know, remove Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> whatever it is that you're expecting God to do. He never promised to do that. Now, Nancy's going to answer for some stuff. Amen? That, that word, remember she was talking about the word. Well, she's going to meet the word one of these days. And she's going to find out that he's not for the garbage she's been promoting. It's blasphemous, our righteous and holy Savior. Now listen, the reason that so many Christians are discouraged is because they are, they are speaking something that is not the truth and expecting God to answer that. 
So the prayer his is, Lord, don't hear, is, Lord, don't let the truth depart from my mouth. Make sure the things that I am testifying about God are true. And then when I speak the truth, then my hope grows. That's where it comes from. Verse 43 again, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy what? Thy judgments. How many of you think that killing babies is wrong? I'm just telling you, no Christian ought to vote for someone that would promote that garbage. I don't care. I just don't like his personality. Well, you don't have to live with him. How many of you are tired of that garbage? Well, if he'd stop tweeting, I'd vote for him. Okay, vote for somebody that's going to kill all the babies, especially the black ones, right? Because you don't like tweets. These people are so dumb, I I can't take it. And and here's what we do. Well, that's stupid. I thought you were a Christian. You're going to answer to God for that. Amen? Amen? I had somebody say they left the church. He's the maddest preacher I've ever seen. I've never seen a preacher get as angry as he does. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't like babies being chopped up. Uh, just for some reason that that bothers me. See, this is what people expect. Oh, blessed people. We need to love our enemies. Joe Biden's good at heart. What? Can't do it, folks. I can't do it. Woe to him that calls good evil and evil good. Darkness. Darkness. See, hope springs from truth. We keep speaking truth and our hope increases. Oh, man. All right. Let's keep going. Look at verse 44. So shall I keep thy law continually forever. And ever. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. Spurgeon again. Uh, I like this. The verse begins with so, as did verse 42. When God grants his salvation, we are so favored that we silence our worst enemy and glorify our best friend. Mercy answereth all things. If God doth but give us salvation, we can conquer hell and commune with heaven. Isn't that good? Let me read that again. If God doth but give us salvation, we can conquer hell and commune with heaven. Answering reproaches and keeping the law and that to the end, world without end. How many of you are thankful that your new man cannot sin? Remember, we're looking back. My in me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. But here's the good news. If I'm saved, I can't sin. That new man cannot sin. So what happens? I keep thy law forever and ever and ever. Isn't that good news? Is anybody saved here today? Are you saved? You know Jesus Christ. You've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal salvation. When that happens, he makes you a new creature. You you have that new creature living in this body of death. So you're, you're still going to sin, but the new man cannot sin. That's how you can get to go to heaven. The new man, you're in Christ Jesus. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Praise God for that. 
And then when your old man sins, what do you do? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that continual cleansing. You die to self. The old man dies. The old man dies. The new man is renewed day by day, the Bible says. Praise God for that. So remember, we're looking at this, so shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. Can anyone in the flesh keep the law? No. So how can this happen? New man. Jesus Christ doing, saving us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. All right, verse 45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Now, how many of you think that we live in the land of liberty? Yeah, so take the stinking mask off. All the controls, all the government coming down on top of us. This weight of government trying to remove our liberty. I'm completely against all that garbage. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I'm not against you wearing a mask. I'm against anybody telling you what you have to wear. It's crazy. I saw a study this week. I hope this encourages you. Only 6% of COVID deaths are without a corresponding comorbidity. Only 6%. Do you know what that does to the numbers? What's 6% of 175,000? I have no idea. 9,000 deaths. More people than that die in the bathtub every year. How many of you think somebody's lying to us? Seriously. What in the world's wrong with our governor? He has lost his ever-loving mind. We need to primary that guy. Get him out. See what's happening? They're removing our liberty. See, the Bible gave us our liberty. Our founders understood the evil of man and the evil of government. Our founders knew that. And so we limited the government. And then, as as our founders said, that our, our government, our constitution is only for a moral and righteous people. So the more that we get into paganism, the less effective our constitution is. Amen? Isn't that right? And so what happens is as the pagans rise, our liberty goes away. As the Christians rise, our liberty is increased. Isn't that an amazing thing? We're not the despots. We're not the totalitarians. We're the people who say, do what you want, but you're going to answer to God. I'm not the judge. God's the judge. His word. And it's interesting. The Bible says I walk at liberty. So I was listening to the uh, Theology Roundtable podcast. And Brett Bartlett was speaking about Genesis and the, the nature of man. And by the way, Brett Bartlett's doing our man camp. He's going to be uh, October 2nd and 3rd. Brett Bartlett's the speaker for man camp. And so I, I actually typed it up this morning from his podcast. Here's, here's, he talked about it. So Genesis 3.1, remember the first thing that Satan says is, Yea, hath God said. Right? The first thing Satan does is he begins by, by questioning God's word. So here's Bartlett talking about the subtlety of Satan. He is subtle because he brings in his anti-biblical worldview, look, through a positive message that masks itself in philanthropy. So he begins, Genesis 3, 1, yea, yes, hath God said, starts positively. And Brett went, he goes, yes. He's subtle because he brings in his anti-biblical worldview through a positive message that masks itself in philanthropy. 
He says, I'm going to help you become more like God. I'm going to raise your moral standard. And I'm going to do that with a positive message. You remember when the, the protesters wanted to shut down Samaritan Purse's uh, uh, hospital in, in uh, Central Park? Why? Because he was evil. Because he's against gay marriage. That makes him... So he's there with a hospital to help people for free... But he's evil. Remember what they want to do. They want to raise the moral standard by saying anyone who would denounce homosexuality is a bigot. Right? That's Satan. That's Satan. I'm going to help you become more like God. I'm going to raise your moral standard. And I'm going to do that with a positive message. That's why it's so subtle. Then under the guise of helping people, what he is really doing with his positive message is he is getting you to question the word of God. And this causes you to deny his word. Satan's word starts out positive and ends negative. God's word starts negative and ends positive. This is interesting. This is how sin works. The first time, it's awesome and fun, and that's why you want to do it again. The first time someone takes cocaine, man, it's awesome. And so you want to do it again. How many of you think that ends well? Anybody? Does that end well? That's, that's what sin does. The first time, it's awesome. Then the more you do it, the more, you sick, the more sick you get of it, but you become in bondage to it. People start in a profligate lifestyle, and it's wonderful at the beginning, but it ends up in misery, and then you can't get out of it, whether it's pornography or gambling or alcoholism or any of those things. It starts fun and exciting, and it ends up in bondage. That's the world. That's the world. Righteousness begins by being difficult. Somebody gets saved, and they come to church, and preacher preaches on something they're supposed to do or not do. First thing, well, that's dumb. That's stupid. First time you try and do right, it's hard. It's difficult. Because your nature wants to sin. That's the direction. That's the bent of our flesh. And you have to fight against that. How many of you, men, you're excited to go and work out? And it's great the first day. You get in there and you work up a good sweat. Oh, man. Man, it was hard, but I did it. Then the next day you walk into the gym and you can't lift your arms. You can't walk. You know, that's when most people quit, right? Uh, I heard, I think it was E. Stanley Jones, Ravi Zacharias quoted it, that someone had said that Christianity had been tried and left wanting. And E. Stanley Jones, the missionary, said, no, Christianity has been found hard and so left untried. You see, young people, today in this world, in this culture, it is difficult to stand for Christ. The, the, the direction, the gravity, the weight, the wind of the world is against you when you're trying to live a righteous life. And yet, if you will stand... Those people that are going the other direction, a few years from now, you'll see them. Our uh, sister-in-law was here, Laura's sister. And her husband, Justin, man, he grew up a rough life, got saved later in West Virginia. And they ran into the girl that he took to the prom. So Melissa, this beautiful Christian girl, 
and the girl he took to the prom. A life of holiness, beautiful, however old she is, 42, 40-year-old lady, beautiful 40-year-old lady. I know that sounds ancient to you guys, trust me. Beautiful 40-year-old young lady. And whatever this other thing has turned into. (laughs) And the difference, holiness and sin. That's the difference. That's the difference. And I'm just telling you, that hard life, the drugs, the alcohol, the immorality, you'll bear that in your body. But listen, it's real easy to get started. Really easy. Righteousness is more difficult to get started. You've got to choose to do right. You've got to choose to behave. You've got to choose to obey the word of God. You've got to choose to ignore the voices of the people around you, the culture. And you take your stand, and here's what happens. All of a sudden, you start seeing the people around you falling. And you say, thank God for righteousness, because I can walk in liberty. I can live. Amazing. Then, let's look at this last verse, and we'll be done. Verse 46. I will speak. Oh, look, can, I, can I just go back to verse 45 real quick? I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. What are those precepts? Those are the truths of the word of God that you've been taught. Those things that we're teaching you about your behavior and about righteousness and about finances and about those things. Those are the things you've been taught. Walk in those. It's harder not to go into a bunch of student debt than to go into a bunch of student debt. Amen? You see, don't do that. You'll be in bondage to that for years and years and years. It's an example. All right. Now look at, look at verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Has there ever been a time when we need to speak the truth to our leaders more than today? It's so interesting. A guy named uh, Thomas Elvis, he had gone to Holland because it was against the law to be a Baptist in England. And he came back and he wrote a book called A Short Declaration of the Mystery of Iniquity. And he ended up going to Newgate Prison, and he died there in prison for writing this book. And he wrote it to King James. It was King James that put him in the prison because you couldn't stand up against the king. But Helvis was not afraid to speak the truth. Look at what he wrote. He said, if kings be, I'm sorry, if the king's people be obedient and true subjects, obeying all human laws made by the king, our Lord the king can require no more. For men's religion to God is betwixt God and themselves. The king shall not answer for it. Neither may the king be judge between God and man. Let them be heretics, Turks, Jews, or whatever, whatsoever. It appertains not to the earthly power to punish them in the least measure. So in the United States, we're not going to punish someone for being a Muslim. We're not going to punish someone for being a Jew. We're not going to punish someone for having a Christian faith different than our own. The king has nothing to do with that. Amen? What's he doing? Speaking the truth to the king. He wrote this. Elvis again. If our Lord the king, by his discerning judgment, see that as Queen Mary, by her sword of justice, had no power over her subjects' consciences, for then had she power to make them all papists, or Catholics, because she was Catholic, and all that resisted her therein suffered justly as evildoers. 
Neither hath our Lord the king by that sword of justice power over his subjects' consciences. For all earthly powers are one and the same in their several dominions. What Helvis was telling the king is you have no power over men's consciences. You have no power over what we believe. And just as John MacArthur and Jack Treber and, and Paul Chappell are standing out in California, the state of California has no power to tell them whether or not they can go to church. Congress shall make no law establishing, right? Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. When they tell you you can't go to church, what are they doing? They're prohibiting the free exercise. And we have, we have Supreme Court justices appointed by our president who said the government has the power to do that. When the clear reading of the Constitution is that we are free and what it's going to take is for millions and millions of Christians to stand up and say no. There are not enough police. There are not enough soldiers to stop us from going to church. We will speak the truth to kings. And what are we speaking? Our testimonies. You see, Mr. DeWine, Jesus Christ has saved me. I've become a part of the body of Christ. And then the Lord has asked us to assemble together. And we're to do that on the first day of every week. And this is what Christ has asked us to do. And when we do that, we come and we, we bring our tithes and our offerings and we support our missionaries and we sing together and we study God's word together. That's what the Bible has told us to do. And with all due respect, that's what we're going to do. You see, we as a church were willing to step back for a little bit of time to help. But when we saw that what they were saying was not true, we said, we're going to church. And now we have pastors in, in other states. And, and can, can I ask you, what party rules those states? That, that was really weak. I don't think we're, we're going to speak truth to kings that way. What party governs those states? Vote them out. You know, they wanted to shut down the police department in Minneapolis. Good. I hope they do. That's what they voted for. I hope Portland burns to the ground. What about the innocent people? They voted for them. Our elections have consequences. And it's time for us to not be ashamed and to speak the truth to kings. Christians are too silent. These weak, panty, wasted, wimpy preachers who came out against MacArthur. I just don't think that's ought to be a battle. I don't think that's the fight that we are. Going to church shouldn't be the fight that we should take. What are we going to fight then? What are we going to do? Isn't it interesting what happens when we go back to the Old Testament and we consider it through the writings of Paul and we understand what does it mean to speak truth to kings in 2020? It means that we stand for the righteousness of Christ, the autonomy of the local church, and the freedom of religion that we ought to exercise. It's interesting. Helvis was willing to go to prison. We're afraid to be fined. Let's stand. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, we love you.
We love your word. And it's time for we Christians to stand. There's so much foolishness going on and Christians are cowed. And Lord, it's time for us to stand up.